1: Is my boomstick.
0: What's your favorite scary movie? Hello. Whoa, microphone problems. Way to start <laughs> off. Hello, horror heads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Daniel DeBona, and you may notice that sitting right here next to me is not Dave this week. Dave is actually in New York doing some sort of young filmmakers thing with his filmmakers club. They're killing it out there. So uh, all the luck in the world to him. He will be back next week. But I have been joined by first time guest host and horror movie aficionado, Ashley Cavanaugh. Ash- Cav, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. That's so funny that David's in New York because I'm going to New York tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. he's Switching he, um- places
0: he he's like the co-sponsor of the film club at his school and oh, they managed so cool. to get the money together to go to new york and they're like making a short film while they're there it's a whole thing he's oh, very wait. excited he knows really way cool. more about that side of movies than i do but cav we're Not very right. happy to have you on <laughs> um i know we have we've, we've known each other for a while mm-hmm. and uh you are a big horror movie fan and yes, once i am once we started exchanging some things on, on Facebook and stuff, I was like, man, I gotta have her on. So whenever we have somebody on for the first time, one of the things we always ask them is where did your love for the horror genre start? How did this whole journey get going for you?
2: Um, I I had a hatred for it at first. I was kind of a scaredy cat of a child. Um, I remember That's some first. of my earliest memories <laughs> yeah. with horror is my dad. I was with him in Pennsylvania and he had put the grudge on i think i was like six years old oh, man. and that traumatized <laughs> me for a while um and then i don't know i must have been 10 he put zombie land on and that got me into like horror comedy to ease me in okay to that sort of thing and then my uh my uncle gave me a box set of the nightmare on elm street dvds and i, I would fall set. asleep i would fall asleep to to a dvd every night um which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do with freddy krueger but (laughs) you know exactly uh but my love for freddy has translated obviously very heavily yes on a poster back there too um so that's i i owe my horror love to Wes craven and freddy krueger for sure
0: and not not a bad place to get it from my mine (laughs) uh Nightmare on Elm Street is some of my earliest ones too. I have that exact same box set that you're talking about. Is it the one that.
2: where it makes up that he's got like the, the hat on it. Cause it ends with new nightmare that one. Yes.
0: That's yeah. the exact same box set that I have. I, um And yeah, I love that thing. Cause I do like that is, that's one of, if not my favorite franchises. So that's one that I revisit mm-hmm. a lot. I really do like that one. That's that's funny that that you uh, you mentioned just the idea of like a dad kind of bringing his daughter into it. Like I'm slowly getting there. My daughter is 12, and Aww. so I'm trying. Like I I started to ease her in, like with Monster House and oh, God, uh, I love that Beetle Beetlejuice. She's a big Beetlejuice yes. fan. We we got into that one, um, and I recently took her to see the new Haunted Mansion. And she was oh super that was so good. It. We
2: just watched that the other yes. night.
0: I I like it a lot, and I mean, she was really into like the, that one really intense attic scene. She she loved yes. that, and so I'm I'm always trying to find ways to kind of ease her in too. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty cool that you come from that that same side, and yeah. actually a really good transition into the movie that we're going to be talking about today, because we are going to be talking about scary stories to tell in the dark which Ooh. is a book series uh, mm-hmm. from the nineties that Guillermo del Toro decided to bring to life in 2019. And one thing about this movie as I watched it is I just constantly had the idea that this might be a good one to really kind of get my daughter into something. That's just, it's not a horror comedy. It's not yeah. an animated horror. Like this is just a straight mm-hmm. up scary movie, but still pretty good for kids. PG-13. So, yeah. I like, I feel like it's right on the edge of her thinking that it's too scary. You know, yeah, like there, yeah. there, are, there are certain things where I can see her having those moments where she's got to hide her face and some stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I can see this one bring, being something that she would be into. So we are talking this movie and we're going to start off with Apt Enough, a section that we're calling A Child's Nightmares <laughs> and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Is well, it was a book series now? If you're it just uh-huh. kind of depends on how old you are, um, as to whether or not this was like a major part of your childhood. This, I feel like it se- was,
2: you know, a big part of a lot of people's childhoods, I... yeah,
0: because I remember it being so I like I remember it being a big thing in the 90s when I was in elementary school, and uh-huh. I assume that's when it came out, but when I went and did the research, I 80s, no, 81. Uh-huh. Is, originally came out and so it, it seems to be one of those things that's just kind of timeless keeps going yeah, and it just keeps popping back up mm-hmm. I think that it is so accessible but just to start us off here in this section I mean what did you think about this movie just kind of as a whole
2: overall I remember hearing about it you know obviously years ago when I was put into like pre-production and stuff and I these aren't my copies these are actually my fiance's copies that he got from his mother. <laughs> but we've had, yeah, we've had them sitting in our house for a while. And I, I was really excited to see which adaptations they would be putting into the movie. I know the fan favorites are obviously like the Pale Lady, Harold the Scarecrow, um, right. and the, the Jangly Man uh, from the books. And those illustrations, the original illustrations, you know, nightmarish. Uh, and you still think about them all the time. And when I heard the movie was coming out, I was very excited. And overall the movie, it lived up to my expectations in the sense of like that practical effects wise sort of thing. Right. I'm sorry if you hear my cat in the background. He just oh, it's okay. likes to do what he likes to do. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it lived up to it practical effects wise. Like the characters, like the monsters, they look exactly like the illustrations from yes. the original books. They're so good. And then, The story, I do wish it was more of, like, an anthology sort of situation, kind of like trick-or-treat. Yeah. But it still worked pretty well with, like, the, you know, one story a day, one character a day sort of uh, layout of it. Yeah. Um, And the acting was pretty good. There was two standout characters for me, and the others were, you know, they just carried it all the way through just perfectly. So, have no complaints overall.
0: Yeah, this, I... It's funny, just kind of this was my first time seeing this movie because I did the same thing where That's I right, knew to tell me that. Yeah, like I knew it was coming out and I was excited about it. And then it just kind of slipped through the cracks. It came out yeah. in 2019 and mm-hmm. I just never watched it. And so my my ignorance showing here and if I've, I'll I'll issue a, you know, a statement of the fact that I've been wrong. I have <laughs> been I have been talking about this episode for the past couple Saying that we were going to keep our anthology series going because I was just under the impression that this yeah, was going to it be, would an be anthology. that way, yeah. So, yeah. last week we did Creep Show,
1: uh-huh. and I was like,
0: Great, next week we're going to keep anthologies going because they're doing uh-huh. scary stories to tell in the dark. Mm-hmm. It's got to just be each story, and that's what I thought was going to happen. So, at first, I was a little bit disappointed in the fact that there was kind of a continuous story that mm-hmm. carried through. But I think that what you said is perfect in the fact that it followed the anthology format by giving one character one story every day. And I think that and I think that what uh, del Toro did was he very beautifully married the Mm -hmm. idea of the horror anthology with just the creating a universe in which all of these things happen yeah and when I stopped and I thought about it it did kind of make it scarier to picture all of these things just happening in one town as opposed and to these one just,
2: friend group as well
0: right instead of these things just being campfire stories yeah that everybody was kind of telling and it's always I know somebody who knows somebody you get into that urban legend territory
2: well, see, I was thinking. I don't know if you've seen this, but the new Goosebump series also just dropped on Disney Plus, and that is more. If they were to do it as a series, scary stories, that would be awesome because it. Yes, it's one town, but it kind of just like picks and and pulls everything. Mm-hmm. But still, this way, where you get one town, one friend group, you're all going through this all at the same time, and you're honestly just terrified about what's about to happen next. And there's that, you know, anticipation of waiting for the book to write a new story and you don't know who's going to be next.
0: Right. And so I I really enjoyed that. Um, I think you're right. I think a lot of the effects here were great. And Mm -hmm. like I said, going back to the idea of this being something that can be, you know, kind of cross generational. It's, it's not very gory. Mm-mm. it's I, I mean honestly I think the worst cuss word dropped in here was at one point she busted into the house and said god damn it or god damn or something like that I think oh no the-
2: there's there's definitely some some shits dropped oh in there okay for you know
0: sure. I, I I'm just desensitized at this point I suppose. there's
2: no f-bombs as <laughs> right far as I know um I think we get the odd asshole
0: and right. shit but obviously, okay, well, within
2: the PG thirteen limits.
0: That's right. She's my daughter. She's heard me say it. She's heard <laughs> all those things before. Um, but so, like, yeah. So you know, they, they stick within the confines of that, mm-hmm. and so I think that he managed to create something here that's scary mm-hmm. without being terrifying. Yeah. And I mean, Del Toro's done a lot, and you know, Cabinet of Curiosities. When we're talking, great. when we're talking Del Toro and anthology. There are some genu- There's some genuinely terrifying shit in that. Pigman's yeah. model. Pigman's model still. Occasionally, I will just randomly think of it and like <laughs> get chills. And I know that he didn't direct all of those, but he kind uh-huh. of oversaw it. So we know that this guy is capable of bringing mm-hmm. the scary. Well, and that
2: and I- like Pan's Labyrinth, where it's not necessarily a horror movie, but some of that stuff is.
0: downright terrifying uh,
2: especially to children you know yes oh my. but it's still a perfect intro to like that kind of world you know
0: pan's labyrinth was far (laughs) scarier than it had any yes exactly (laughs) far scarier for for if you're just listening audio wise you're missing out great on uh, some (laughs) some great pantomiming here but that movie was far scarier than it had any business being like that was yeah that was ridiculous but so I, i love that this guy always flexes how good he is at doing different things but one Mm -hmm. thing like you said that you can always rely on is the special effects that del toro is going to bring i mean the man has built entire worlds he's designed entire characters i mean he took just these really basic ink and paper illustrations of what these characters should look like and yeah sure they're not always 100 percent true to Mm -hmm. it but i think that if they had been they would have been boring one of the things that made them so scary was the fact that they were flat, like to, to make those things 3d mm-hmm. was an accomplishment and to make them scary. Oh, yeah. So I agree. I think that overall this thing kind of lived up to what I thought it was going to be. It subverted the expectations that I had of what it was going to be. And I really enjoyed it. I, I thought that they, they brought some, some really good stuff here and mm-hmm. they, they, they did manage to pick some of the the really good ones including the one that will always and forever give me nightmares and we will continue to talk about that as we get into our next section in a section that we're called that we're calling the stories write themselves we've talked about the fact that he subverted the idea of the horror anthology while still kind of creating it and told a multitude of short scary stories Mm -hmm. in the guise of an overall thing so when you look at the story for this movie uh so let's look at it as two parts let's look at it as one as the kind of journey of our main characters and another as how the the actual stories and how they're portrayed on the film let's let's kind of do it like that so Take me through what you thought of the story of this of uh, this movie.
2: The story, I like how, I mean, obviously we're set off in, you know, the late 60s. It's Vietnam wartime and and all of this is happening with the draft. And it's not something that kids today or even people my age, I'm only 25. It's not anything that we'd be necessarily familiar with. Right. right? But it sets the scene of that nostalgic sort of beginning where it's a small sleepy town. And, you know, you've got to... Kind of a narrator, and talking about all these happenings in the world around this small town, and you get the main character, and the main character is you know a shy girl, she's kind of a loser of town or whatever, and she's sent on this tailspin journey with her friends right and I like that story aspect. I mean that's kind of a I don't even want to say overdone because it's not overdone. It's one of the perfect like kind of tropes for horror movies or those like a hero's journey sort of situations, right. you know, or folk tales or anything like that. But I liked I liked the story in the sense that like we said, you're getting this all within one friend group. So you're not going to get confused as to who's who, how are they connected, how are we why are we supposed to care about this one character versus should we care more about this character? it's all kind of rolled into one cohesive where they kind of just drop like flies sort of thing i guess right. you know
0: yeah i mean and that idea of the the friend group that's that's slowly losing people I, you're yeah. talking about tropes i mean that was a great yeah. way to keep that in there i mean that's that's the that's a trademark of good yeah. horror right so, i mean you go you go to any slasher and it's always mm-hmm. one group of friends that are getting killed i mean you go your screams your fridays Your Mm -hmm. nightmares. It's always the same group of people getting picked off one by one. So again, taking a trope and changing it and bending it to fit what he needed it to do for this movie. So I agree. I think that that was a really good element to this. Um, I I really like the idea of this. It wasn't, I I had this thought in my head when I kind of thought I saw where the movie was going to go, where they were going to, Read the stories and then they were going to play out.
2: Mm. I really
0: liked the fact that it wasn't just they read like a like a never
2: ending story type of deal.
0: Yeah, like that exactly like never ending story, right? Like you're reading yeah. it and then you get sucked into it. That's yeah. what I thought was going to happen. I loved this idea that not only did the stories get written as they were happening but Mm that the people in their friend group were specifically the characters in the story because it it added an element of tension and you know maybe they can get there and stop it when they it's like oh okay shit this is happening to Augie we know where he lives like let's get there and stop it from happening it wasn't just reading a story about some guy named Steve and trying to figure out who you had to talk to in a little while. And they'd be like, yeah. Oh wait, who's her, you know, like, it, like when they read it, it was like, Oh my God, there's a kid named August in this story. Yeah. And then, and then they were like, Oh wait, that's Augie's name. You know, like that type of stuff yeah. I think really added to it. Um, I loved the fact that they decided to set this in that what was it 69 I think yeah 68
2: yeah. 69 68, something like that 60,
0: yeah so 68 because it's when Nixon was running it's when George yes, Wallace actually right. is, as we're both Alabamians here right like that's when George Wallace was running for president so um and so 68 being the year I you know because the idea Of how do you get around the fact that the cell phone is the answer to a lot of horror movie problems, right? Well, you you, go for walkie talkies. (laughs) Right. And so they managed to set this in a time when, okay, well, now that's not a factor, but it still felt like it made sense to be placed there. Which, you know, it's it's easy to just be like, oh, okay, well, it's in the 80s and nobody had them. And it's like, well, why? Why does the eighties have to be the right setting for this? Yeah. I think that because of the way they built this story with Ramon being a draft dodger mm-hmm. and with this friend group, I mean, they're they're you know, they're kind of a losers club. Y- yeah, you know, like they're they're obviously not the popular kids. And, no. But but all of that stuff fit into the way that they wanted to tell this story. And Mm -hmm. and I think that 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 worked out really well. I did love with it being set there, the idea that it's like, okay, the the letterman jacket bully was still a thing in the sixties. Right. Like, so it makes sense to have him, you know, like all of the characters fit that setting and it didn't feel forced. Which, No,
2: no. I mean, it's the same way with, you know, like let's say like Stranger Things or something where you have those kind of stereotypical characters for that era and they make it fit, but the story still fits. Like say, you know, Stranger Things, Satanic Panic and stuff like that. And then with this one, it's the Vietnam War and Draft Dodgers. They're all kind of weaved into that story interconnectedly. Right. it, It still works.
0: Yeah. And so that stuff was all really good. I enjoyed all of that. Like honestly, overall story, the only complaint I had is something that is just making me sound like an old man yelling at clouds because it just keeps becoming a complaint I have. But it's this idea that every movie has to end on the idea of we're going to make a sequel. Yes. Like, I'm just, I'm yep. just, I, I'm over the idea of turning everything into a franchisable IP. Like, it's yeah. okay to just make a movie that has a beginning, middle, and end. And, so and you that can was-
2: leave it open-ended without, like, because especially the way they shot the ending, it just yes. made it seem like there is a sequel, especially with the dialogue and, you know, oh like my the God. panning yes, the, off to the trees and the and long the, car the, ride. And, and, and the,
0: the voiceover of, and I'm never yes. going to rest until yes. I find my friends. Like,
2: no. For, it can just be open-ended without implying that there could be a sequel. Yeah.
0: You can just have it to where she never found her friends and you don't Mm -hmm. have to have that voiceover of saying how, you know, it's everything's going to be restless (laughs) until she finds them. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're smart enough as, as movie viewers to be like, Oh, maybe they'll make another one. Like we don't need them to just like pull open our mouths and shove it in there. Like, no, our plans are to make five more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so that was my only complaint, but like I said, I just, I honestly, I, I feel like that just keeps being a complaint now is right. Everything's yeah. got to have its own universe. You know, Marvel did the thing and then everybody started doing it and then conjuring proved you could do it with horror movies. And now it's yeah. just what everybody has to do. Yeah. But honestly, that's a minor complaint in the grand scheme of things because yeah,
2: at, at the end of the day, it's not like that, that, that doesn't break the whole movie. It would, it just, leaves that kind of stale taste in your mouth where it's like you could have just made the sequel and we probably still would have watched it without you setting it up for it
0: exactly um you know like it's just especially if something happens and that sequel doesn't get made and now it's just like <laughs> pandemic, oh, right exactly or you know like i, I you know now the writer strike is ending now yep. but you know, but what what if they decide not to come back and and do it or whatever mm-hmm. you know it's it just, it happens so often where the idea of that gets forced on you at the end and then they don't get the sequel.
2: It's a false hope.
0: Yeah, exactly. Did Did you watch, by any chance, watch um, Archive 81?
2: I feel like maybe, but About I the, don't. The, the,
0: the guy who was cleaning and editing the videotapes and then they like, he ended up like getting sucked into the past. It became this whole interactive thing.
2: I don't remember that one. Spectacular
0: now. little miniseries on uh, on Netflix, but it did that where it had it had what could have been this is a cool ending, and then all of a sudden it was like oh let's go one step further ha ha mm-hmm. now let's see what happens next and now yeah. we're never going to know what happens next because it yeah. didn't get picked back up, so it's yeah. it's it's frustrating. But like you said, in the grand scheme of things, very minor thing. The overall mm-hmm. story here I thought was good. So let's get into the second part of the story which is the actual stories from scary stories Mm. to tell in the dark that were added in here. What did you like? What did you, what did you think of the ones they picked?
2: I, I liked all of the ones that they picked. I mean, uh, I'll say except for the red spot. I don't know that. I don't know. I just, I think they hurried through it on screen right i feel like even though like these you know these stories are literally like a page and a half long they're meant to be drawn out and told you know orally right. around the campfire so you can draw them out and kind of be a little more dramatic with it right. like true the storytelling spot, everybody yes their own exactly stuff. but i think i don't have the book that the red spot is in but i remember as a child reading it and feeling like it was like 10 pages long because it drew you in and it drew it out that way. But on the screen, I feel like, you know, we see Ruthie in the basement. She gets the spider webs on her. We don't really see it come up again, except for her messing with the pimple in the mirror right. every like for like five seconds. And then all of a sudden it just happens. And then it's over like that. And that's the one instance where they do get to the person on time in the movie. Yeah.
0: You know, it was when, so as I'm watching it, and I see her start to mess with the pimple, that's the, the exact thought I had. I was like, oh shit, they're putting the red spot in this. Yeah. And I had that same thought where I was like, oh, like, mm, uh, So, uh, c- you know, it, 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 for anybody who listens all the time in ca- or in case you don't, just something that's common knowledge about me, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't flux with spiders. I oh, just, no.
1: You're I just oh,
0: in a big way. I don't oh, like, man. like if I walk into a room And it's just like one in the middle of the room. It's like, cool, you live here now. I'll head back outside. Like, I don't, like, Like the only time I will ever even kill one is if it's just like suddenly on me and I can get to it. But if running away is an option, still choose it every time.
2: Yeah. I mean, Jacob, he likes spiders. I actually almost got him a tarantula for his birthday last year. That ended up not happening. We have a snake, but no tarantula yet. I do snakes all day. Uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, snakes are great. But no, uh, if there's a spider around, we usually just get like the cellar spiders. But if I see one that's different than that, I'm like, you're the spider, like ser- self certified expert. You make sure that's not a black widow and it's not a bl- brown recluse, and we'll leave him there. Mm. But if he's in the shower, he has to move because that's also my space. He can sit <laughs> in the corners, but if he's encroaching onto my space, you gotta move them outside or to another corner.
0: Yeah, I, I have I have a real ever real tentative accord with spiders at my house where it's like, look, you're you're on the porch. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like, great, that's great. I totally. love to be able to sit out here and not get eaten up by mosquitoes. Right. Exactly. This is spectacular. I'm gonna exactly. pretend you're not there. I'm not gonna acknowledge you. But I'm not. I'm not gonna kill you. But I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Once once you're in the house, option one is run away. Like, but if I'm sitting down and then I can see you, it's it's over for you, Chief. Like, oh man. If- <laughs> But like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to go chase one into the corner, but, oh, if yeah. I, but if I suddenly look down and there's one right there, sorry, man, <laughs> you, you, bro- you broke the rules, the I rules are you live out you. there, I live here. I do um, not blame you. And so I remember seeing that they, so I remember watching and, and they were like, and it was like, oh God, that I, st- she starts picking with the pimple and I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. going to be the red spot. And I was like, okay, there's no way it's going to be. Like, that bad, right? Because you were right. It almost... That was the one story that almost felt like a B storyline. Yeah. That was the one that kind of ran in the background over the course of some other stuff happening. So I was like, Yeah, maybe we're just gonna... mm, But, mm, like, I can't (laughs) even... I can't...
2: See, for you, that was me with the toe stew. Where's my big toe?
0: uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, like... When the when the hair popped out or when the leg popped out and she touched it and it bent like my stomach was, "Mm." and yeah, and even though you know it was clearly and obviously CGI, just seeing a woman covered in spiders in a room covered in spiders,
2: yeah,
0: was was more than I was mentally prepared to handle. Some clenching
2: muscles going on and just yeah. yeah.
0: So so as much (laughs) as I want to say like they didn't do it justice. I was one you mm, like yeah. in that in that moment, a piece of coal in my fist would have been a diamond because <laughs> I was I was done. Yeah. So I I absolutely understand what you're saying, but I did kind of <laughs> like the way they brought that one to Yeah, life.
2: and I definitely see that as like for people. I mean, arachnophobia is such a common fear
0: amongst right. people
2: that like they I'm sh- they just had to include that because it's gonna get most people, and I just happen to be one of those people that like I'm not deathly afraid of spiders so i'm like that that's terrifying but also in like a measured context i'm like but not realistic so i'm like <laughs> i don't know you know it's, see, it's one of those see, you just say not
0: real me you say not realistic but as somebody who's afraid of spiders I'm like no I can totally see one laying a billion eggs inside <laughs> my cheek and that's a thing that could happen it's like so that, now- that
2: myth that happens where it's like you swallowed at least six spiders in your sleep a year or whatever it is right
0: exactly or the the thing where you know people are always like oh I knew somebody who ate some chewing gum and it turns out it was a bunch of spiders eggs or what? <laughs> I don't I've never
2: not, heard that but... oh
0: it's it's one of those urban legends like you know getting a fried rat in your KFC or whatever like oh yeah, yeah it's just or 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 there's the one about the person who bought a cactus and one day it just started shaking and then it exploded with spiders have you never heard that one either <laughs> no see as an arachnophobic i'm somehow drawn to these ideas of urban legends about
2: well, i mean spiders. like we had we had different i mean i grew up in new york city so like we didn't have a lot of nature around so you know our urban legends and like our are about timberland are, boots no yeah that and bed bugs that is a new yorker's biggest fear Ah,
0: oh, okay bugs those were our
2: horror stories growing up
0: fair yep so okay so so that that one not so much what would you think of the others
2: um i really loved the pale lady i wish we would have gone a little bit more in depth as to like knowing that chuck was having those dreams continuously right sort of thing because i had seen something i think on tiktok where apparently the like folklore legend of this pale lady is that She comes into your dreams to warn you, to give you a chance to get away from her. And if you are around like in the real world without your dream and you recognize a place from your dream, or you feel this sense of deja vu, you got to skedaddle because that means that she's getting closer by sort of thing. So she gives you this opportunity to get away, but we never see that. And it kind of just gets plopped right there near the end. Right. Um, and i mean like it, they still did a fantastic job with like the special effects on that and the lighting and having the multiple you know pale ladies but, kind of surround him and you know suck him in like a like a jello monster sort of thing
0: <laughs> it you was know? it was funny when she she reaches out and she hugs him like it it, like it, it hit, yeah exactly like it, it hit this one angle where it was just <laughs> like maybe that's kind of nice right Right? no yeah yeah like it's that concept of like sure getting pressed to death sucks but there's probably like two or three minutes in there where it's really nice before they add one more stone right yeah Yeah. (laughs) Like, like it was the same thing i was like I mean, I wouldn't mind if just some giant woman showed up and started hugging me. Give me
2: a bear hug. I, mean, I love exactly.
0: it. Like th- there was a minute there was like maybe this is a nice one. And then yeah, he gets sucked into her. Yeah, so like,
2: I love mm. it. When she like she like pats her belly at the end of it too. It's it's so bizarre, but I loved it. And then the um was Harold. We have to talk about Harold, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, uh, everybody remembers the Harold illustrations from the book, and I I liked what they did with it. And I was confused as to why Tommy hated the scarecrow so much at first. But then I remembered that the original story in the book was the two farmers who had him based his like facial features off of another farmer they hated. And so anytime something went wrong in their lives, they would take it out on the scarecrow. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess, you know, Tommy's mom was yelling at him and are you drunk again? And you know, you have to go deliver these eggs. And so he he took everything out on this scarecrow because i guess he didn't have any siblings right sort of thing
0: and, yeah, and that and, was his outlet and and because and because the losers club you know kind of banded up against him and ran away so he cannot,
2: yep like, he's he's having a bad night so yeah he wants was to it was, take was, it out on the scarecrow it
0: was it was a rough night to be a jock who was very excited to just get enrolled in the army
2: yeah, yeah <laughs> but what he says like it's no shock that he wanted to go you know shoot some commies or whatever it was yeah but.
0: exactly I, the, the Harold one, I thought, I thought they, they did a fine job with that mm-hmm. one. It like, I, again, that was one where it was a good combination of practical effects and CGI mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. him walking. I, I did really like that one. Um, I just, you know, one thing that that really came across for me that I loved was that moment where they, they go to the, the red room, Right. Which, which in there, which there was, you know, records and whatever division
2: record entry data or something like that.
0: And so, and so they go in there and they find the wax cylinder and they're listening Mm. to Sarah Bellows Mm -hmm. go through electric shock therapy. And they find out that her family essentially tortured her and Mm -hmm. kind of turned her into this thing. And so you, you get this idea that, you know, cause they meet uh, Lulu, right. Mm -hmm. And she's, And she's like, I didn't, I didn't teach her anything.
1: Mm -hmm. And then
0: you you eventually realized that her family was so worried she was going to become a whistleblower that they, they broke her and turned her into this thing. Yes. And so I, I really did love that extra element getting added to it because you didn't just create some person from the past who was a witch who learned it from, you know, like the, the house slave or whatever. Yeah. You know, it didn't it just become some weird, like, voodoo thing. It was like, no, yeah. her, her family was fucking uh-huh. awful, and they built this town. So, of course, she wants to take everything out on this town. This town represents everything she came to hate. Yep. And, and then so, at the end,
2: Stella's telling her, she's like, you know, you turned out to be now the monster that you didn't want your family, you know, to make other people think that you were. And you turned into this awful, terrible thing because you were trying so hard to not yeah. do that awful, terrible thing.
0: And I think that that's the through line story part that mm-hmm. ties all this together and makes it work the best Yeah, is you, you spend the, you spend two thirds of the movie creating this antagonist and Sarah Bellows that, that we're all just terrified of. Mm-hmm. And then, and then she becomes this sympathetic character, which yeah. again, while tropey was done very well. Yeah, and uh, so I I did really enjoy that part of it, and I loved how she was like the wax cylinder was like telling the story. Because yeah, then you, then you get that weird moment where it's like, wait, are these writing now, like as they're happening to my friends, or were they written already, and then they're coming again as we're living them? You get this weird moment where it's this time, like a moment of prophecy circle.
1: almost. Yeah. Sort of like- yeah.
0: And so you, you get that really weird moment that just throws a little bit more in there. Uh-huh. And it just it just adds something else to the story. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Also, the second movie we've done on this podcast that involves wax cylinders. Which really? What I was the first one? Prince and Peak uh crimson oh. peak is the only reason i knew what that thing Another was D.M. when he grabbed it i was like oh it's a wax <laughs> cylinder it works like a record like and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and before crimson peak never even heard of one so Another Guillermo del Toro movie. yeah exactly <laughs> like is it,
2: does he have a thing for wax cylinders are they in any of his other stuff do we know about
0: uh, you know what like I wouldn't be surprised to go back and watch Hellboy right? if i one at this point right oh like, my it, gosh it, it fits it fits the it fits the lore of Hellboy which started during I know World there's War an II, old Victrola
2: right? in Hellboy and they exactly. have a record player but I don't know about a wax cylinder maybe,
0: maybe he's just really into old audio maybe. like this yeah. just he's just, yeah. he's just fascinated <laughs> by the history of recording audio
2: it is interesting I will say
0: it is, you're not wrong so you know as 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 the stories kept playing out so you had mentioned that the one that was the for you was the big toe why did that one get you so bad
2: uh i don't know it's uh not necessarily because it's not like actual cannibalism because he didn't mean to do it but that kind of like forced cannibalism sort of thing right. where you know um my two basic biggest examples of another times that i was disgusted by that was there was an episode of criminal minds back in the day where I think it was Jamie Kennedy who was playing the killer and he had cut up all his victims. Right. And during the search parties, he volunteered to feed all the, the volunteers who were searching for his victims and he fed them his victims.
0: Oh, get the fuck out of here. Are you yes.
2: <laughs> I'm so serious. And I love Colonel Minds. Oh that was one God. that stuck out of my head from when I was a kid. And then um, American Horror Story Apocalypse, yes, where they're in the bunker, and she and he goes, "Oh my god, the stew is stew," and they all start gagging because you know they killed one guy and they put him in the stew. Right. It's, just, it's that like I I'm very picky about food and like how it's prepared and stuff, and I very thoroughly vet restaurants and like <laughs> reviews, and I have to know their health code scores and stuff. And it's just one of those things where that is something that really gets to me. And then, you know, you just see it kind of like gurgle, gurgle up to the surface. And then he eats the whole thing. How do you not see that? How right do you there? get an toenail, entire toe
1: in your mouth?
2: <laughs> a whole toenail. And I, I remember the first time watching that and I lost it. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Like, Oh, uh, I can't. And so I had to like look away when I knew that, that, that that's, that's what the story was. I couldn't
0: do it. Okay. So sidebar before I do my, my, what's the minimum health score that you'll eat at at a restaurant?
2: So in New York, we have the, uh, codes posted on the exterior of the building in a letter grading. And so when I was a kid, my grandparents instilled in me, they were like, if it's a B, you still got to be careful, but like, you got to go for the B's and the A's. And I remember one time we went outside of New York city to eat somewhere didn't check the hell score. My entire family got food poisoning. Oh my god! So that is definitely instilled in me, and you know I'm like super emetophobic, which is like I don't like to throw up. I'm afraid of it. I used to cry and cry and cry, and I woke up to my sister vomiting from her top bunk.
0: Oh my um, god!
2: <laughs> so that was not fun, and that's that. But down here, it's a little different. You, they're still obviously clearly posted, but I would say like a ninety is like the okay. lowest I'll go. Okay. It, it's, it's, I, I have to get out. Know. It's
0: funny getting, getting some, some knowledge of how that works. Um, And I'll, I promise I'll get back on the rails in a minute. But you say that the, the, uh, the letter health scores are posted on mm-hmm. the outside. I was watching Bob's Burgers and I saw them do that with like the, the letter rating and they posted mm-hmm. it in the window. And I was like, health scores aren't done in letters. This is stupid. Now I know that it is in
2: New York there. City. They are, and I mean, I'm pretty sure Bob's Burgers probably takes place in either Jersey like, or Long Island. Maybe we're not sure. They never say. Yeah, it
0: kind of seemed like Jersey,
2: but I think some places in Jersey, like some you know jurisdictions, okay. do it like
0: that up there as well. Well, there we go. For <laughs> for for me, with the big toe, the part that gets me is when it came to campfire stories and mm-hmm. and the, the the stories that you would tell your friends at sleepovers. And it was always the stories about someone who was looking for something that was taken from them. Yeah. That got me. You know, it was always the story about, like, some woman who died and her husband dug her up because he wanted her necklace or something like that. The
2: golden arm. That's what these stories are based off of. Yes.
0: Yes, the golden arm. Those are the ones that always messed with me. because, Yeah, because it's commonplace to when somebody dies to like split their stuff up right yeah and you know estate sales are a thing oh it's
2: yeah one... like bringing an unknown object into your house sort of thing and right like the owner comes the re-
0: looking for it it's one of the reasons I I don't mess with the estate sales because I'm like I'm not really? about to, I'm like, I I like, I'll go walk around them. But I'm always like, anytime I find something that's really cool, my immediate thought is like, man, what if they thought it was really cool? And now they're going to come haunt me to get it back. Right. Okay.
2: That's valid. That's a valid.
0: Like, I'll buy comic books in an estate sale because it's like, (laughs) oh, they're just comic books. Right. But like, anything. You had a nerd
2: ghost come after you. (laughs) What'd he do? He'd.
0: He'd probably bitch at me for like not turning <laughs> the pages delicately <laughs> enough or be upset that I even opened it. Oh my that, gosh. That, that's what the nerd ghost would haunt me yeah. about. Like I, I that. kept I kept it sealed for 40 years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, you it. And I'm just I'm just sitting there reading it like, miss, it's a good green arrow. Like <laughs> oh my God. <gosh>. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, like those stories always so. When she's when when he just hears her like moaning from mm-hmm. the other room, you know, and you see her just kind of like shuffling in, I yes. was like, "Oh, that one!" Like, well, definitely not one of the one of the scariest ones. That was the one that that really, I I did really like that one. Like I said, but it, it was whereas you were just kind of like had to look away from it. I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, like this is the type of scary story I want to see brought to the yeah. screen." So. I think we hit them all right yeah, yeah
2: um uh no we didn't hit the jangly man the, okay. Walker. Oh,
0: oh how and how could we yeah forget? The yeah I can't man. forget that one right Dude, so, whoever
2: the contortionist his name is Troy James I wrote that down yes he's amazing yes. oh my god like people were shocked to know that that was not special effects yes but knowing um, you know Guillermo del Toro and how he does a lot of his stuff is practical I was like nah that's a real person
0: Yes, um he was Incredible, mm-hmm. and it it uh, it reminded me of um, *Malignant*, where *Malignant* actually <laughs> went and well, just in the fact that they went and yeah. got a contortionist to do yeah. these things so that they could do it all practically. Yes, and so because that was my first thought was CGI, and then I was like, no, I was like, I was like, obviously, like the body falling apart is. I was like, but yeah, Del Toro's not going to do some of the he, and so I did. I went and looked it up and saw that he used a contortionist, mm-hmm. and so that one. That one is so wild because I love that the cop shoots the head, and it's like yeah. it's a head like, that's what? alive on its own, dude. Like, what? At what point were you like, but this is gonna end it? You know, <laughs> like,
2: and you're shooting at the head without knowing where the rest of the body is either. Exactly. If, like, well, if like, one's coming, I think the other parts are also gonna start coming after you.
0: It's like I, I'm watching. I, I'm watching. This, my friends like. Why Why would he just immediately shoot the head? And my immediate response is like, he's a cop. They have the one reaction. Exactly.
2: No, that is... that. Is, I think that's everybody's first reaction to that. Is, he's a cop in a small town. First reaction, draw the gun. You know? they, they,
0: they've got the one reaction. And it's, and it's shoot it, right? So... Yep. Um, but yeah, they they did a great I loved I loved the way that the body parts all fell through the chimney. Yes. I loved watching him squeeze through the, the prison bars. Yeah like they just they they did so and that was going into this the jangly man was the one where I was like I need that one to be there. Because yeah. that one in the book, you're talking about ones that feel like they just kept going. Yes. Like the, the dread and the descriptions of that one mm-hmm. were were so good. So that was one that I was definitely very happy to see make it
2: to the Yeah, story. it was great. And, you know, the the whole Mithai Doughty Walker. Uh, yes. What is the end? Like the lynchy kinchy molly. Yeah. Something like that.
0: Yeah, um, like the whole with the thing. Dog
2: saying it. And he's looking at the, the dog's name is Trigger you know uh,
0: <laughs> because of course uh,
2: it is because of course it is he, he's looking at the dog he's like what's up buddy it's like you're you're talking to your dog but it's so hard to believe that these kids are telling the truth as if right. you know your dog is going to talk back to you and tell you what's going on yeah we're not gonna we're gonna suspend all you know belief of reality for that one
0: right but just just in that moment because he's a good boy just um, in that mo-
2: yes he is he's a very cute dog <laughs>
0: very much so so one of the things that made this uh this kind of world work where all these stories could happen was the actors and the characters who kind of mm-hmm. brought it all to life so in a section that we're calling cerebellos and the rest take me through who stood out for you in this movie either good or bad chuck yes
2: that kid uh what is his name austin ja- Austin
0: uh, uh yeah. zager Z-A, for anybody listening, it's Z-A-J-U-R, and I yes. don't know either.
2: I am unsure on how to pronounce that, but he was like, perfect comedic relief for that movie, and Augie was, you know, up until his demise, he was pretty funny, you know, with him and Chuck always going back and forth on like, oh, well, you like all the girls, and he's like, ah, shut up, whatever, you know, <laughs> they're kind of duo right. duoship there. Um, I liked the character of Stella. I didn't think that Zoe Margaret Coletti, who played her, I didn't think she had very strong skills when it came to kind of portraying anguish and, like, fear. I don't want to sound mean, but it reminds me of, like, the Debbie Ryan memes where she, like, tucks her hair behind her ears. Like, it just, it didn't work for me. Um. And then Austin Abrams, uh, you know, the jock, Tommy, right. he's great, but he's great in a lot of other stuff that I've seen him in as well. And even for his short part in this, it's very believable that he's that type of person sort of thing, you know?
0: Yeah, I, my, my first takeaway was that if this was supposed to be a Zoe Coletti vehicle, then, that, mm. that, that she was miscast, like if it was supposed to be a Stella vehicle, then, then yeah. they'd miscast Stella as Zoe Coletti. Because mm-hmm. I had that same thought where there was the moment where she's on her, where she's on the phone with her dad. Like I felt that moment. I really did. I felt like she portrayed that very well. Like that seems to be your zone, right? Like that drama part. But the, the, the scared teenager who is watching her friends go missing slash die, whatever one by one, she, didn't, that, that and she didn't
2: master the art of subtlety between like her and Ramon. Like it was, it seemed very forced chemistry on screen. Like they were trying to make her look like she had like lovesick eyes or whatever. And right. It just didn't work that way.
0: Yeah. It could have been and, a
2: little more subtle in that sense for both of them, honestly.
0: Yeah. I, I, I was, I was underwhelmed with her. I, I think you're right in the fact that, that, that Augie and Chuck, I mean, they, they carried so, so much just because, their chemistry was so good, you know. You yeah. referenced Stranger Things earlier. Yes. And as good as the story for Stranger Things is, one of the things that makes that story that makes that show work so well is how well all of those kids play off of each other and, yeah. and work together. And mm-hmm. they, those two had that same chemistry that, mm-hmm. that that entire crew of Stranger Things has together. Yes. They had that like. I could legitimately see these two dudes just hanging out like after Mm -hmm. they were done filming, like, yeah, Yeah. they went and got lunch together and they still crack on each other like that. Like it felt that natural. And, you know, just the whole thing where he's like, what what are you a clown is like, I'm a, I'm a Piro. Yeah. (laughs) Piro. And, uh, and, you know, and he was, he was so uppity about it and Chuck just thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And just, I mean, that's, that's what dudes do. Right. Yeah. Like even even when yeah. your friend loves something, if you think it's ridiculous, you oh, want to rag on it. Yeah, you just, just, yeah, just ride him about it. And they just he just wouldn't let him go. And the, the whole thing when they're in the backseat of the car, when they first met Ramon and just they they did an amazing job. Yeah. And it, it really did. It made me that much sadder when Augie went kind of so early into everything. Cause yeah. I, I wanted more of Chuck yeah. and I like, right. Like I want, I want B roll of, of some sort of special feature where there's so much where there where we just see all the stuff that didn't make it because I yeah. just feel like, I feel like these two guys have that same chemistry that you get when you put, you know, like a Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, where it's just like, all right, yeah. just, just go get each other. And we're just going to record say, and think- keep what's best.
2: I'm not sure if this is true, but it seems like it would be that, you know, Austin Zazier, it feels like he improved a lot of his like little one liners and quips. Right. Because for the rest of like the one liners and quips for the other characters, they seemed so forced and written. And
0: mm-hmm. I don't know if
2: it was a matter of his delivery or that he actually improved them on the spot, but it was right.
0: Great. Yeah. And so um, the the other side of the, the Stella coin is. Yeah. I never got like I, I. It's very rare that I finish a movie and just kind of feel flat about somebody, mm-hmm. but that's how I feel about Ramon. Like, my yeah. I feel like Michael Garza just kind of did what he had to do. Like, I feel like he kind of portrayed that will they, won't they, a little bit better yeah. than Zoe Colletti did. But that wasn't exactly the biggest hurdle in the world, right? So, yeah, he, he was there. And and he did fine, but I, and I think that you're absolutely right in the fact that that, that Chuck and Augie, I mean, they were the they story stole the show tell. for yeah. sure. Like they 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 were great. I would have liked, uh, and I mean, I don't know, right? Like it, like that idea of whether or not Sarah is just kind of being a shadow. Mm-hmm. of a character adds to her or, or takes away. That's something that I've been trying to kind of think of in the past 24 hours since I watched it is, is, does, does it add to the character that that we never actually, you know, that we don't kind of see as Cerebella's? We don't, we don't put a face with that as, as all the bad stuff's happening or does it kind of take away and, and you'd like somewhere to kind of point that fear and anxiety.
2: You're definitely right. And I mean, in the beginning, I think it was Chuck who said he was like, you know, we've never seen, to this day a photo of Sarah is because they erased her from all the family portraits. There are no, you know, photographs of her anywhere. The only like actual any evidence that that she really existed was that wax cylinder. Right. Sort of thing. And then some records, but all of that. But I do wish at the end, instead of just getting a glance of her hair when Stella yes. was her, we would have gotten Just a quick full face reveal and then moved on because even that is still like you don't need to focus so much on her appearance, but giving you that little Easter egg because nobody else has ever seen her. It kind of makes it feel special almost.
0: And, and I think that it adds something to the story when we talk about the fact that they eventually turned her into this sympathetic antagonist. Yeah. Right? Well, like if if in, in continuing to make, because I do think that it adds to the dread of Sarah Bellows when she's yeah. just a shadow that creeps across the ceiling and the wall. Yeah. But I think that once you cross that bridge into wait a minute, you know, maybe we should feel bad for her.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I
0: think that in that moment, yeah, we should have. I think that I think that we should have got a face. I think that we should mm-hmm. have had kind of an idea of who Sarah Bellows was. It's kind of like
2: the bent neck lady in you know the Haunting of Hill House, where mm-hmm. you you don't <laughs> you don't <laughs> that is that understand. is legit. That is legitimately
0: one of the craziest well, jump scares yes. of my life. Truly, uh, I, in, in 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 decades of watching horror movies and doing this po- and doing this podcast now for a couple devastating. years, devastating that fucking jump scare
2: <laughs> it's devastating in like both types of ways where it's devastating where you realize who it is and it's devastating because oh my god where the f- that come from exactly like oh my god but yeah it's kind of like that bet neck lady situation where you feel all that much more sympathy and obviously that's a part of the actual plot right. line with Nell being the betneck neck lady but you feel that much more sympathy actually seeing it happening or seeing what is happening versus the neck lady, just being this kind of anonymous figure that we later might figure out that it's now.
0: Right. Exactly. And I mean, and, and how often, you know, are you, does, is, is there some sort of campaign for some charity or something? And it's all about, you know, like having the right face for it or whatever. Yeah. It's that same type of thing. Like, yes, I now feel sympathy and I understand why she's doing Mm -hmm. the thing she is, but also like, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt now that I'm kind of in on who she is to be like, okay, now I can picture who was getting yeah. tortured because that's the thing. They sold it amazingly with mm-hmm. the audio on that wax cylinder. Yeah. And, um, and I went and looked it up and, you know, cause there was, there was something they called it like dilateral cerebral diatherma or something like that. Interesting. And so I went and looked it up and it was literally, they would put the patient's head between two galvanized plates mm-hmm. and they would shoot something that was a hybrid. It was like, it was considered a laser at the time, but it mm-hmm. was essentially electricity that would go from one to the other path of least resistance being straight through the person's through the brain. Comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, so they, they did all of this to sell this sympathetic story. Let me see what she looks like. Like, right. I like, I don't want like, to, like, even if she looks
2: answer. all kind of messed up. Cause I mean, if you see uh, like, Pictures of asylum patients dirt before versus after their stays. And I mean, you see that a lot in like American Horror Story Asylum and stuff. Right. Where if you're not crazy when you go in, you're sure as shit going to be crazy when you come out and it's going to look that way. And I feel like even if we didn't get a before picture of her, that after would have been that kind of devastation where it's like, oh my God, this poor
0: girl. Right. So, um, but. So we've gone through the story and we've talked Mm -hmm. about the characters and there's something that we always kind of like to do when we look at the idea of a book getting turned into a movie. So we're going to call this section Books, Lore, and Red Ink. And while we talked about it a little bit in the story aspect, I want to look at, this is something that, like we said at the top, it was published in 81. It's been a part of so many kids' childhoods.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. How well... Did it kind of translate? What did they change that you didn't like? What did they change that you did like just that idea of what got left out? What, what just what made the book different in a good or bad way?
2: Well, I know we talked at the beginning about how, you know, they changed it from what a normal or like predictable format would be where it's like somebody's telling stories around a campfire
1: Mm -hmm.
2: over to like these teen characters which I actually did really like um, once I realized that like, Oh, this is actually probably for the better of the plot line. It's less confusing for the audience and it kind of just encapsulates, encapsulates it all in one friend group. Um, I like that they used the characters in the stories instead of just making them about random people. Um, It's one of those things that I think it, the stories themselves translate well to film when you're going to put them in like a collection right? in one film, rather than trying to draw out one story for half the movie and then making everything into a franchisable thing where, Oh, you get two of the most popular stories in the first movie. And then you're going to have to wait to hear the other stories because we're going to draw it out all right. the way, you know?
0: yeah when when i finished this the first thought i had was okay they did a good job with the monsters and and i dug that but i think that when anybody thinks back to scary stories to tell in the dark the books before you remember any characters before you remember the particular stories you remember that art by Stephen Gamb. Yeah, and while they did a great job bringing some of the characters to life, mm-hmm. I feel like we should have gotten more setting elements that really kind of okay. hammered that Stephen Gam that Stephen Gamble art style. I feel like there could have been a way to, and I'm not a filmmaker. I could be criticizing something that, that you know you couldn't do, yeah. but I, I feel like there could have been more stylization in certain areas of the film, especially in moments when we, when we were actively watching them being chased by a monster, I feel like they should have stylized those settings more that really brought, because if you are listening to this and you have only watched this movie and you just know it's a movie, you Mm -hmm. need to go at least just do a Google image search for scary stories to tell in the dark And if you still
2: don't know what we're talking about, as soon as you see it on your computer screen, something is going to click for you. Exactly.
0: That artwork was an iconic part of it. Yeah, And I feel like while the city, while the town should have looked like the town looked, that's fine. I feel like whenever we were actively engaged in a monster scenario where a story was being written, I would have liked to see a stylistic change kind of in setting and shooting kind of like we got with the red room thing where, yeah. the, where they, they changed out the lights. That one I felt was executed very well because by those long shots down the hallway and the spinning cameras and realizing that there were multiple pale ladies and the red mm-hmm. light, all of that stylistically felt like it Fit that concept more especially the idea of throwing it gives you that sense
2: thing. of dread and that impending doom and you know there's just no escaping it it's gonna keep and keep and keep going and they yes. did it very well with the camera then, work on that for and sure and then you
0: throw that one color over everything and you're immediately reminded that that these weren't graphically illustrated like graphically colored illustrations yeah, in the book 2d right paintings you know they they created that atmosphere in that one yeah I wish that we had gotten more of that through the others I wish that when I wish that when he when he was kind of coughing up the 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 straw and stuff like that that I don't know I it wasn't I I wished it would have looked different and and like I said I'm not a filmmaker I don't know what I would have done but that's not the way I kind of saw it happening
2: you know, yeah i definitely sense. i see what you mean especially with the the straw part where tommy's you know he's becoming harold the next harold sort of thing mm-hmm. i i don't quite oh harold steals your skin in yes. the books yeah he steals your skin and then he dries it out and he makes basically a leather double of you like buffalo bill um and so you know um i feel like that would have been cool to see that and to kind of give it a little more true to the roots and even just like a, a distant shot of this kind of lanky, you know, m- mechanical, almost scarecrow, like holding up a piece of skin to the sun. I don't know. It, right. it just, it, it would be cool.
0: Yeah. Again, you know, it, yeah, it's just that whole idea of, it's like, I, you know, I'm not, not criticizing, just, just, just no, something yeah. that I wish would have been done a little bit differently because yeah. I feel like for as much as this, did justice to the stories. I feel like it did not do justice to the illustrations that were yeah. in that, that were such a big part. Of I was going to
2: say, those are episode. such an important part of why we remember the stories right. so much.
0: And so that that was that was my biggest complaint about the translation um, from from book to film. I think that mm-hmm. you're absolutely right in this idea of, yeah, we're going to give you two of the ones you really want. Now hang around and we'll you know, we'll do two more or whatever. That's just a frustrating thing. Like I said, mm-hmm. like I talked about at the top, it's it's mm-hmm. OK to just to just make a movie like it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think we've hit it all. So I think it's so. It's about that time where we are going to rate this movie. So we just like to remind everybody at this point in the podcast that we only rate a movie against itself, as it would not be fair to compare something like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark to Night of the Living Dead. They're just not comparable. So what we do is we create a unique rating system for every movie. And, Cav, as the guest host, you get to pick what that rating system will be. So we rate out of a possible five. What are we rating out of a possible five of?
2: I would say to rate the overall translation of it into a PG-13 horror movie, just through and through, base it just off of that, and I think that'd be, you know, perfect to rate it against itself.
0: Okay, so, but, so what, five what? Like, we don't do stars, we we need five somethings.
2: Ooh, ooh, um, Hmm
0: sure let's do it okay out out of a possible five scarecrows what are you giving scary stories to tell in the dark
2: i would say three and a lower half (laughs)
0: three and a
2: lower half yeah
0: well played well played um i'm kind of right there with you um i think that this was very good and I did enjoy it a lot. Uh, I do think that the performance by Zoe Coletti Estella kind of took away. Mm-hmm. I do believe that there, there's something there. I did want some more of the the artwork. Yeah. And so I, you know, I kind of rate that how much you know how much am I willing to take away for those things. And and I feel like that's worth right around taking a taking away one and a half. Mm-hmm. However, the dad in me is going to give it a I'm going to add the upper half because I do appreciate the fact that Del Toro created a movie here that I'm excited to try to watch with my daughter. And so, and so that is, you know, that is just a mushy, you know, just kind of thing to do, but I am going to go forward. I'm going to go, I'm going to go for scarecrows on this because I, I do think that while there are definitely some flaws here, what mm-hmm. was created is something that is a great bridge mm-hmm. for somebody like me, who's been watching these forever and loves them to try to pass that on to my child who I'm kind of just trying to look, uh, you're, you're a daughter. So you, yes. you may remember these moments, but as a dad, it's hard to find things that you like that your daughter gives a shit about.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh my like, me and my dad, later on it became horror movies, but early on it was, like, music and stuff. Right. And that's something we still talk about. But, I mean, I don't have any kids of my own currently, but our niece, she's just now starting to get into that, like,
1: yeah. Halloween
2: spooky vibe. She got a skeleton for her birthday that she carries around everywhere. It's adorable. <laughs> um, but this movie, she's not quite ready for it. She's five. But, you know, hopefully in another five or so years, I can be like, oh, well, this will be great. To watch with her, you know, yeah. once she starts getting into it
0: more. It's, you know, my, you know, like me and my daughter can't do music. She's, she's, she's a country music fan. You know, I'm like, me and my sons, we, we've got no issues. You know, we watch yeah. wrestling, we watch cartoons, you know, we're here for it all. This, this is like the trying to get her into like scary stuff is, yeah. is something that I feel like we might be able to do. Like, I feel like yeah. I've, 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 you know, primed that. There's a little just hook enough. in there and it's exactly. It's... So, so I'm going to go for. Which, when we average that out, it's three seven five. For anybody who listens, we don't do quarters, so we're going to call it a three and a half. Oh, no, three seven five. Yeah, we'll we'll call it a three and a half. Honestly,
2: we can call it a four. Yeah, it's not. It's really not that different between that three and a half and four.
0: So (laughs) we're we're right in there. The official score being a four scarecrows out of a possible five for scary stories to tell in the dark. Cav, you've been awesome uh it's Thank hard to so believe much. this is your first time coming on and i know i think you were great um we would love to have you back if Slaughterhouse becomes a panel <laughs> discussion then that would
2: be so fun
0: if, if that goes full round table then we will definitely be back um I'm i see for the people watching you've got your instagram on here but do you want to throw out any of that for um anybody who's listening
2: um, Instagram is just gonna be Cav Marie. TikTok is Cav Marie thirteen, if you want to follow me there. I don't post a whole bunch of horror content other than the occasional, you know, the ranking filters that they do nowadays oh, yeah. on TikTok. I love doing those. They're so fun. <laughs> people, people really roasted me for my scream one. Um, oh,
0: really? What what what'd you get the most heat for on your scream one?
2: I think I think I put Charlie somewhere in like my top five. And okay. they were like, You put Charlie above, I think it was nikki and i was like i like charlie i'm sorry i really liked charlie and jill i think scream four is the better of the franchise but that's me you know oh well they really roasted me for that one
0: though well fair enough so uh make sure you follow Cav. uh she's she's when, when she does post stuff it's great you're also a big festival goer right so yeah yeah, yeah. so music oh, festivals Yeah, so always posting quality content over there. And while you're out there looking for people to follow, if you are listening and not following, make sure you head to shiverpod.com where you can find links to all of our social media outlets. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All of those places at shiverpod. You can find us in all of those. Instagram is where we are the most active. That's where we post the movie we're going to be doing for this week. I try to come up with a couple memes a week, usually take the weekends off. So I do what I can. Um, and also, if you are list, if you are watching live with our release schedule, this might not be out in time for if you're listening, but Dave and our uh, Dave and I are going to be at spooky Empire in orlando october twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and 29th So, um, so if you find yourself in the Orlando area and you want to have a beer, we've got stickers. We love to give out hugs. Find us at spooky Empire. If you watch us live, you'll know what we look like. If you don't, i'm the I'm the taller white one. he's the shorter Cuban one. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all right. We're probably, you know, I doubt that we'll, I, I like to think we'll stand out, but we won't. It's a horror movie convention and we're not going to be in cosplay. So we'll probably blend in better than a lot of people. But so make sure you check us out. Like I said, links to all those things on shiverbutt.com, as well as links to buy our merchandise, like our fearfully and wonderfully made shirt with Dave and I as Frankenstein's monsters. So make sure you check all of those things out. We appreciate everybody who's listening. Cav, thank you for coming on it's been thank really you so good. much for having me and since dave isn't here i'm the one who gets to say it but we'll fright you very much